You all can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Just read along as I'm reading. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the Church of Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You, and you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so that being affectionately desirous to you, uh, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be burdened to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from our own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of our sin. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see your face to face because we wanted to come to you I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us from what is hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his commanding. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Well, thanks, Tyler. Well, I'm Nate. 
I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Harvest, and uh, it's always a joy and a privilege to open up the Word of God with you on Sunday mornings. So I'm glad to be here. Um, we'll be uh, working our, we've been working our way slowly through First Thessalonians, um, a church on the move, right? We've been talking about that for the last several weeks, and now we're finishing up here in uh, chapter 2, um, in verses 17 through 20 today. Uh, what do we know so far? Uh, Pastor Doug's been showing us kind of from this chapter that uh, all of life is ministry. Um, all of life, all of your life, all of my life, all of our life as a, as a church is ministry. He's also been showing us uh, what it means to be ministry on game. And, and he's been talking about what are the ministry ingredients. Remember 1 Thess 2.8 there. Love for people. Share the gospel. Share your life. And uh, sharing your life with gentleness and industriousness and honorableness. And he's asked, some, asked us some hard questions. Uh, do you love people? Do you really love people and not just the easy to love people? And you might be like, well, wow, we've been talking about love a lot. Yep. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it some more today. So we're going to look at the conclusion to this chapter, um, verses 17 through 20. Look down at those. Let's jump right into those. It's kind of the exclamation point here at the end of chapter two. And we're going to kind of go through this paragraph phrase by phrase and make some observations and then hopefully end this morning by seeing uh, what is the priority of our ministry as individuals and as a church and uh, why is that our priority and how do we live that out? Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our our hope and joy and crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Look at verse 17. He says, we were, we were torn away from you, brothers. Torn away. This uh, torn away here literally means to make an orphan of. Okay, so he's saying you were orphaned from us. We were orphaned from you. This family imagery is continuing in this passage. Um, and the pain of that is, is kind of expressed here in this translation, to be ripped away, to be torn away. It indicates that they had not uh, voluntarily left them. Uh, it was against their will. Our desire was to stay with you, but we were taken away. We were taken away. Uh, tearing hurts, doesn't it? Um, does it bother you to be away from your faith family? Does it feel like you've been torn away, that you've been ripped away from your faith family when you're not with them, or, or, or is it way too easy? Now, we have a couple in our small group, and just because of some life transitions and some life things that have been happening, they've had to be away a lot this past semester. And there's seasons of life where that has to happen. We know that, and we're good with that. But we had hung out with them this past week and they just kept expressing to us over and over again, like, we'll be back in small group this semester. Like, we'll be back. We need our small group. We need the accountability and the growth and the life together. And we've hated being away and there's been something missing in our life because we haven't been with you guys. Um, there's something really sweet and 
very biblical about that. Is that you? If you were suddenly taken away from your faith family, would it matter? Would it grieve you? And if not, why not? And I'd encourage you, look here first for the answer to that question. It's easy to look out, away from us, isn't it? Look here and say, what are the reasons in me that are keeping me from loving this body of believers more? And should they? And should they? We're meant to be together. Uh, Scripture's filled with that teaching. We're meant to be worshiping together, walking with Christ together, working for Christ together, rejoicing and suffering together on the move as a church for the glory of God. Together, together. Paul gives us here in this imagery a glimpse into his heart and his incredibly deep love for this church. And the church, remember, it's not a building. It's not a worship service. What is it? It's, it's people. It's people. But since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart, in person, not in heart, affections here, he's saying basically uh, we were out of sight but not out of mind, right? Physically separated, but our affections were still with you. You were in our thoughts and our prayers is how we kind of express that. For a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, endeavored the more eagerly, okay? He's saying we made every effort to see you and with great desire, desire is the the Greek word um, epithumia. It's usually associated negatively with with lust and desire. It's It's an intimate word. By using it here as part of these descriptions, he's intending to communicate to us that he longs, he just he longs to be with them in a significant way. And he's saying, We'll be back. We'll be back. We're 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 trying. I think we have to ask the question, well, why do they want to return so badly? Right? Why, why is he expressing this? Why do they want to get back to them so badly? And and we'll see this answered later in this paragraph, but, but what have we already seen so far in the text? Look at chapter 2, verses uh, 2 and 4 there. It says uh, they wanted to share the gospel, gospel truth with them in boldness, right? Um, remember First Thess, chapter 2, verse 8. They had affections for them. They loved them. They wanted to share the gospel and share their lives with them. Remember verses 12 and 13 there? He's saying, we wanted to encourage you in our faith and, and we wanted to exhort you and to charge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then later in chapter three, verse 10, we're gonna see they wanted to see them face to face in order to supply what's lacking in their faith. So there's both affections here for them and a desire to share the truth with them in love and because of love. So they're saying, we want to get back to you because we love you and not just in the easy ways, in some difficult ways too. We struggle with difficult love, don't we? Um, Sometimes we, I know I, uh, 
We just want kind of the fluffy group hug, easy, feel-good part of love. And Paul here is saying, we want to get back to you because we love you. (laughs) The easy ways and in the hard things that we need to tell you. Um, We've been working through uh, the biblical principle of truth and love with our children recently. Uh, Recently, we've had a rash of uh, truth comments in our family without a whole lot of love wrapped around them or anywhere close to them. Uh, They like this, uh, the kids like this cooking show called Chopped. Specifically, they like uh, Chopped Junior with kids. Uh, If you don't know what it is, it's a cooking challenge where they give you these certain ingredients and then you have to make something with it and then they judge you on it. Kids like it and somehow have determined that it's appropriate to critique the food cooked by their mother (laughs) and others. Did you like dinner, kids? Hmm. Not really. I was expecting more of the spice, and it wasn't there. Frankly, it wasn't good. Mom, you're chopped. (laughs) First of all, Dad Vito, mom is not chopped, because you should taste my cooking. Second, what? What would make you think that that was okay? Uh, We've had to prep them before eating at other people's houses. We've been on our way and we're like, listen, we're going to be eating there tonight. You will eat it, you will like it, and you will chop no one. (laughs) Or we'll fix it for a week. And they've argued, they've argued that. They're like, but it's true. I really would have chopped mom. I can't tell a lie, right? God doesn't want me to lie. I have to tell the truth. And I'm like, I don't know. I think in here somewhere, it's like, don't chop mom. (laughs) Yes, we tell the truth. But you don't get to do that apart from love. (laughs) You can do that in a way that's loving and caring and concerned for the other person. And sometimes, love just keeps its mouth shut. That's a hard concept though, isn't it? Truth should always be filtered through, wrapped in, surrounded by, overflow from love. Uh, I think it was James McDonald that said, all truth and no love is brutal. It's brutality. It's like, Truth, truth, truth. But on the flip side of that, all love and no truth, it's just sentimentality. It's just fluff, no substance, Hallmark card-like. We love, so we speak truth. We speak truth in love. Paul's like, we long to return to you and encourage you and exhort you to share the gospel with you and to share our lives with you and not just the easy stuff. 
the hard stuff too. And we're going to see some of that as we continue through 1 Thessalonians in the coming weeks. And he's like, because we care about you and you're very dear to us. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Verse 18, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Look at verse 18 there. It's interesting how he goes, because we wanted to come to you. And then he switches and goes, I, Paul. He's like, wait, I too. Uh, Not just we, right? I, me, Paul, I tried. I'm trying over and over again to get to you. He demonstrates his desire to be with them by his attempting time and time again to get to them. He's like, I really do want to be with you. No matter what you might hear, no matter what you might think, I'm trying, I'm trying. And it says, but Satan hindered us, hindered here, hindered, thwarted. It it means blocked our way, okay? It's actually military terminology that he's using here. It's referring to messing up or cutting up the road so that the enemy couldn't get by via the road, okay? So basically what he's saying is, I wanted to get back to you, but um, the devil dropped a bomb on the road and we, we can't get our equipment through. We can't get to you. Satan doesn't want us to, and in some way, under the sovereignty of God, Satan was allowed to prevent them. Well, hindered how? How did Satan hinder them? Well, we don't know, right? The text doesn't tell us. Um, People speculate based on some things that we see in Acts. Um, Maybe it was through legal means, maybe physical ailments, uh, threat of harm, persecution, etc. The point is this. Satan did in some way hinder them from coming back. He put a roadblock up and Paul is saying, it's not my fault that I didn't get back to you. The devil's at work. Um, It's important to note that Paul in his letters to the churches, um, he doesn't attribute every obstacle to Satan. But some he does. And he does this one. And I think we have to be careful. I think sometimes we're, we're way too quick to attribute things directly to Satan. Um, I guess I'm always like, like, really? <laughs> we made Satan's short list of people <laughs> to block? You know, like, this is Paul, okay? Uh, but know this. He's real. He's active. He's powerful. And he's God's enemy. And therefore, he's our enemy. And his desire is to destroy the church. Ephesians 6.12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil. He's real. And he wants to destroy everything that's taking place here. But, you know what else? God's sovereign. God is in control. And he rules over everything, Satan included. Hope in that. Hope in that. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Let's look at verse 19 and 20 here. Verse 19, for what is our hope and joy and crown of boasting before the Lord at his coming? 
Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Wait a second, I think we skimmed through this too quickly. Look at verse 19. (laughs) There's one part in here that I think it would be easy just to skip right over and miss how awesome it is. Look at the end of verse 19. He says, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus. When? At his coming. Jesus is coming again. (laughs) Do you see that there? Stop and think about that for a second. He's been saying like, we're trying to come to you, okay? But more importantly, he's coming again. More important than us getting back to you. Jesus is coming. Anticipate this daily. And not in like a fatalistic type of way, like I wish this life was over type of way. But instead, anticipate that reunion with your Savior. Allow the promise of Jesus' return to cultivate in you both an anticipation of the joy joy of being in his presence and allow it to cultivate in you a sense of urgency for the ministry that he has called us to here and now how we live now matters to him a church on the move look at verse 19 and 20 notice how it says for at the beginning of those verses for who is your hope, joy, and crown? And, and for, you are our glory and joy. For here is pointing to the reason why Paul was trying to get back to them. It's explaining the verses that were before this. The reasons why are, one, you're our hope, our joy, and our, our crown of boasting. And reasons two is you're our glory and joy. A crown of boasting, a crown. This is a, a victory wreath that uh, was received for winning a game competition of some sort, like a, like a race. And he's like, you're a crown to boast in. It's pride, but pride in a good way. Pride like uh, proud of a child. There's a parental picture here again. This is a, a symbol of successful activity. And here it's describing a Christian's joy and delight in being commended for faithful service by the Lord at his return. And he's saying that they are his hope and joy and crown. This is what he's saying. He's like, when he stands before the Lord and the Lord asks him, what have you done as my child, as my apostle called to my mission, what have you done with the grace and the love and the time and the gifts that I have so graciously allowed you to have? have you done with it? And Paul's answer here is here they are Lord. I lay these people at your feet. I invested all that you gave me in them. They're my investment. They're my stewardship. They're the outcome of all the hardship and toil and sacrifice. They are the evidence and the proof that Paul has been faithful to his calling and the mission that God has given him. They are what we have to show for what you've called us to and gifted us for and entrusted us with. They're the fruit of our ministry. 
This isn't like boasting like, look what we've done. Okay, this is, this is instead boasting like, look what the Lord has accomplished in us and through us and look what the Lord has accomplished in them and through them. Um, he talks about this. You don't have to turn there. But in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about this with the church at Corinth. He says, um, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace toward me, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He's like, it's only by God's grace. And so by God's grace, I say, here they are. Here they are, your children. And we've poured our lives into them and pointed them to you. For who is our hope and our joy and our crown of boasting before the Lord is coming? He says, is it not you? In other words, <laughs> it's you. You're it. You are our glory and joy. What have I done with what I've been given by the Lord? I've made disciples by the grace of God and for his glory. You, Thessalonians, you are our mission. Our call was to make disciples of you. They are the fruit of his ministry. Question. Do you have fruit? Do you have fruit? Paul was committed to people, pouring his life out for people. Are we committed to people? What is your glory and joy? Or better, who is your glory and joy? What is our priority in ministry? As individuals and as a church, the priority of our ministry is people. It's people making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. You, you are our glory and joy. We poured everything into you. Remember 1 Thessalonians 2.8, ministry ingredients. Guess what? They're all about people. People are implied in all of them. Love people. Share the gospel with people. Share your lives with people. Uh, Matthew 22, don't turn there. When asked, Jesus says, uh, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's priority system. Love for God that overflows in love for people. If our priority is not people, if we get distracted off of that priority and our priority is not people, our priority is not God's priority. We want to be a church that overflows in joy and in love and in passion and in justice for others. 
priority of our ministry is people. I think then we have to ask, well, why? Why? Why do we, why should we love people and prioritize people and share the gospel with them and share our lives with them? What's our motivation to pour ourselves out for others? Um, The motivation of our priority, the motivation of our priority is a person. It's a person. Our motivation is a person, specifically the person of Jesus Christ. We are both compelled and commanded by our Savior to prioritize people. We're we're compelled. We're compelled by Christ to make people our priority. We're compelled by the beauty of who he is and what he has done. Remember uh, chapter 1, verse 4 says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We're loved by God. And we're loved so dearly. Um, 2 Corinthians 5. It says this, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ compels us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. First John 4.19 says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. The only way to really love others well is to first know the love of God. We are loved. How could we not love other people in return? We've been loved so greatly. We're compelled by Christ to make people our priority, and we're also commanded by our Savior to make people our priority. We are to give our lives to multiplying worshipers of Jesus Christ across this earth for his glory, right? Great commission. Matthew 28 says, go, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, go, go, love people. Share the gospel. Share your lives. Uh, Real quick, I think we've got to turn here. Turn over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I think it's on page 900 in my Bible anyway. John chapter 13. I think for me personally even, this is one of the most beautiful pictures of both of these, both, the, both being compelled by our Savior to prioritize people and commanded. John chapter 13. Look at verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and 
taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter and he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but, but afterward, you'll understand. And Peter said, well, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment, And he resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then later in that chapter, in verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I love that passage of scripture. Like, he could have just commanded them. Couldn't he have? He could have just said, hey, uh, go do this. Go love people, both friends and enemies, because both of them were there that day. Go love people, friends and enemies, like this, humbly and sacrificially. But instead, he impressed it upon them. He displayed it to them. He showed them even in a greater way soon after in the cross. Imagine the stories they told. (laughs) Hey, one time, the Lord stooped down. The God of the universe got down on his hands and knees and washed my nasty feet And then a little while later, he got up on the cross. And then he said, "Um, love others like this. You love me, then you'll love people. And so what do you do? So now, I love people. I share the gospel with people. I share my life with people. Why? Jesus. That's why. How could I not? Why do we prioritize people? Why do we love people? Because we have been loved and commanded by our Savior. Romans 15, 7 says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The priority of our ministry is people. Why? Why? Because the motivation of our priority a person because Jesus our Savior has both compelled and commanded us 
to love others. And now I think we have to ask the question, how? How? How do we love people? It's so hard. And so often, just being honest, I really just don't desire to. I mean, I get why we should love them and make them our ministry priority, but it seems impossible. How do I cultivate in me this kind of love and turn it to action and love people and share the gospel and share my life with them? I think this is how the means of our priority, the means of our priority is dependence and practice. The means of our priority, how we do it, how we prioritize people is dependence and practice. First, dependence. The first thing I think we have to do is realize it's not in us. You can't do it. It is not natural in us to love like this. You know what's natural in us? (laughs) Selfishness. And it's only by the grace of God. You can't love in this way. You can't love biblically. You can't love like Jesus loves and calls us to love sacrificially towards friends and family and enemies and strangers. Without the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in and through you, you can't. It's only by his power. Um, 2 Thessalonians 1, it says this. It says, to this end we pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that he may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. How? By his power. By his power. A life of love. A life of loving God that overflows in a love for people is a life of dependence. A life of dependence upon him a life of obedience to him, a life of relationship with him, and a life of enjoyment of him that overflows in loving others. Cry out to God to create, to cultivate in you this type of other's first love. If you're a Christian, You've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and working in you. See, that's what I love about the Great Commission. He's like, he gives that command, right? Go. Go. And make disciples. Just the little tasks of all nations. Right? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you. And you're like, whew. That's a lot, right? But then, and behold, I am with you always. He's like, I'm with you. How are you going to do this? Uh, I'm your means by which you can. I'm the means by which you can prioritize others and not yourself. It's me in you. My power, my grace, my love working in and through you. Repent of your lack of love. Cry out 
for his help. It's difficult. It's tiring. (laughs) And yet it's gloriously rewarding work to depend on God in order to help you prioritize people. It's possible through his gracious, sufficient, and powerful work in us. Humble yourself, depend upon him completely to work this love in you and through you. The means of our priority is dependence. And second, the means of our priority is practice. Practice. Love is an action. All right? Practice it. Cry out for help from the Lord working in you and then do it. Right? First John 3.18 says, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Um, this past week was high five. My uh, daughter Kenzie is, is into American Ninja Warrior and rock climbing and obstacles. And she was excited. And, and so she spent weeks practicing, like building up her grip strength. You know, she was right. She had no idea what the course would look like, but she was practicing. I thought it was so awesome how even a little child knows um, that there's not an expectation that'll just show up and be able to get this right, right? It's like, hey, do you want to be a ninja warrior? Well, yeah. What are you going to do? I'm just going to sit on the couch and eat donuts and, and then just show up and try out, right? Well, no, you're not going to be a ninja warrior, right? It takes practice. If you want to improve on something, you work at it and you, and you do it. Practice loving people and prioritizing them. Daily acts of faith lived out in actively ministering to people. Remember 1 Corinthians 15? I read it earlier. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I, I, I took that grace and I worked harder than any of them. Though, it was not I. But the grace of God in me. I worked hard. And it was all Christ in me. Don't wait till tomorrow. Start today before you leave intentionally trusting God and giving yourself to his work. And his work is people. It won't come easy. If it's easy, you're probably doing something wrong. Every day, sacrificially, others focused God glorifying love for others on your way home from work at night when you're like I just want to go home eat dinner collapse on the couch watch Ninja Warrior and go to bed prioritizing people instead I clock out from that job and I clock in for the rest of the evening where I'm going to love my family really, really, really well. And I'm going to pour out myself for them. And then I'm going to go to bed really, really tired and exhausted knowing that God has graciously allowed me to live out my life today overflowing in love for him and pouring into others. Practice. Text message someone just to encourage them. In fact, even better, write them a note. We don't write anymore, do we? 
Write him a note. Like, that's so personal. You get a handwritten note from someone just saying, hey, I love you, I'm praying for you. Take somebody meals when you should be making your own, but you're like, you know what? They need it more than we do. Let's make one for them. Listen, listen. I, I, I am convinced that one of the greatest acts of love is stopping what I'm doing, shutting my mouth, and listening to understand someone. And maybe that's just because that's what I'm really bad at. Listen to someone. Pray with someone. Hold someone's hand while they're in the hospital. Be there for someone whose life's in shambles. Be there over and over and over again, whether it's a friend or an acquaintance or an enemy. Be there. Share the gospel with them. Practice love by, by dealing truthfully with a friend who's making poor decisions. Right? Truth in love. Independence, cry out to God for his help and then call them back. Maybe you're on the flip side of that and maybe a friend uh, approaches you with a hard conversation. And maybe the temptation in the moment is to be defensive. Practice love by dealing truthfully with a friend and maybe, maybe loving them well is by listening to them and thanking them and praying with them and maybe changing. Maybe changing People work is hard work, isn't it? It's tiring work. It's heavy work. I want to encourage you. Uh, you personally uh, don't have to change the world. Just breathe. Okay? Um, you personally don't have to change anyone. Oh, this was so freeing when it came to the salvation of my kids. Oh, the burden you could place on yourself. But all the freedom when you realize it's all God's work. So what are we to do? We're to to love faithfully and we're to minister to those that God has placed in our path. And we're to practice generosity and kindness and grace and truth and prioritize people and to love them and to share the gospel with them and to share our lives with them while depending totally on God to do a work in them. Does this describe you as an individual? Does this describe us as a church? And on the positive side of that, I want to say we have a lot of this going on here at this church. Um, This past week, I'm looking around and I'm seeing people who have been by bedsides in the hospital. I've seen people who have ministered some hard, truthful, but loving things into others' lives that are here. I've seen people that have picked up the phone and listened to someone whose life has gone to a really hard place. And frankly, I just can't help but mention high five this past week. That was cool to watch. Thank you for loving these kids, sharing the gospel with these kids, sharing your life with these kids. I saw um, people worshiping with kids this week, feeding kids after they fed them, cleaning up puke after kids, (laughs) opening up the word of God with children, running around and around and around with kids 
That's awesome. More of that. More of that here in our midst. More of that out there in our community. More of that in our families, in our workplaces. More and more and more. The priority of our ministry is people. The motivation of our priority is Jesus. And the means is dependence on him and a lot of practice. You are our glory and joy. Father, we just want to express our dependence upon you. We, we say forgive us for so often leaning hard into our own desire for selfishness and not hard into what you have called us to. Lord, I just want to rejoice. Thank you for allowing me even the, the front seat uh, this past week and, and seeing people loved really well, Lord, um, by other people within this church family. Thank you for working that within our midst. Um, And we ask you to help us to do that more. Lord, when our tendency is to forget how you have loved us, um, when our tendency is to forget that you are with us, Lord, remind us of your of your deep love for us and for others and and help us, help us in our weaknesses, Lord, to, to do the hard labor of pouring into others. Why? Because we desire that they know you, that they enjoy you, that they know of your love, Lord. And so if in some small way they get a glimpse into your love by the way that we love them, we want to love really, really well. And so, Father, um, help us. No matter what we do as individuals and as a church family, Lord, may people be our priority. May we overflow in love of you in in how you have loved others. And so this morning, we just take a moment here and close just to, uh, to focus ourselves on you and to remind ourselves of, of your beauty so that we can leave here and go out and Reflect that well to a lost and dying world. You're fabulous. Thank you for the cross. In your precious name, amen.